This is the TriDot Podcast. TriDot uses your training data and genetic profile combined with predictive analytics and artificial intelligence to optimize your training, giving you better results in less time with fewer injuries. Our podcast is here to educate, inspire, and entertain. We'll talk all things triathlon with expert coaches and special guests. Join the conversation and let's improve together. Together. Welcome to the show, everyone. Today, we are hitting Dr. BJ Leeper with a big try question. Do triathletes need to strength train? Some athletes do it, some athletes don't do it, and some athletes intend to do it and just always seem to run out of time in the day to do it. That may or may not be me. So excited to hear from Dr. BJ Leeper on this one. BJ graduated from the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine with a doctorate in physical therapy and rehabilitation science. He's a board-certified orthopedic specialist, a certified strength and conditioning specialist, and a USA Triathlon Level 1 coach. He specializes in comprehensive movement testing and injury prevention among athletes and has worked with numerous amateur and professional athletes. BJ is an avid triathlete himself, training with TriDot since 2012 and coaching with TriDot since 2014. BJ, welcome back. Hey, thanks, Andrew. Gr- glad to be here. Also joining us is coach Elizabeth James. Elizabeth came to the sport from a soccer background and quickly rose through the triathlon ranks using TriDot from a beginner to top age grouper to a professional triathlete. She's a Kona and Boston Marathon qualifier who has coached triathletes with TriDot since 2014. Elizabeth, thanks for joining us. Well, it is just great to be a part of this conversation. As always, I know we've got a great episode coming right up. Well, I'm Andrew, the average triathlete, voice of the people, and captain of the middle of the pack. As always, we'll roll through our warm-up question, settle in for our strength-based main set topic, and then wind things down with our cool down. Lots of good stuff. Let's get to it. Time to warm up. Let's get moving. Even with participation in multi-sport events growing, it's still hard to say triathlon is a mainstream sport. Telling your coworkers, friends, or family you are racing a try this weekend draws a much different reaction from saying you'll be hooping down at the local gym or playing a round of golf. It's likely the reaction a triathlete gets from revealing his or her athletic endeavor of choice is met with bewilderment as often as it is admiration. BJ and Elizabeth, you both are multiple-time triathlon finishers with years of racing and coaching on your try resume. So for today's warm-up, tell me this. What is maybe the funniest or strangest reaction you've ever gotten when someone finds out you are a triathlete? Elizabeth, we'll start with you. All right. Um, So as you were kind of putting that question out there, I think some of the best or like the most funny reactions um, that I've gotten have occurred when I was still working as a classroom teacher and my students were kind of learning a little bit more about me and my hobbies. And in the first few days of class each year, we do multiple team building exercises. And I kind of participated in those alongside my students as we work to create our classroom community. And as part of that, my love for triathlon would always be included. 
And many times they would be in disbelief that I could swim, bike or run that far. And, you know, teaching fifth grade, there were also some rather honest and blunt reactions. Um, some of them saying like, oh, that's that's why your hair was always messy. Or, you know, the siblings of students that had had me before, like, oh, that's what they were talking about. Um, but I think my favorite was back in 2016. And I was explaining to a group of my students what triathlon was. And one young lady was just beyond thrilled that she already knew what it was. And she described it perfectly, including like the various distances of racing. And then she concluded her description saying, yeah, I even watched Mrs. James on TV this summer in the Olympics. She's Gwen James. And she was mixing me up with gold medalist Gwen Jorgensen. And I was like, oh, two very different people have to correct her. Like, I kind of wanted to take it and be like, yeah, yeah, but not not quite me. So. That would probably be the best reaction I've ever gotten. Your uh, your your teacher is not Olympic gold medalist Gwen Jorgensen. So sorry right. to uh, yes, disappoint. Yes, I know. Uh, to disappoint. I, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I I'm very fast. I'm not Gwen Jorgensen fast. Um, yep. Yeah. Um, Bj, what about for you? When someone finds out you are a triathlete, what's one of the funniest or strangest reactions you've gotten? Yeah, probably the funniest. And I don't know if any other guys can relate to this, but. Um, I'd just done a couple triathlons. I was super excited about the sport and they were just a couple sprints, you know, getting into it. And I was talking to some gal about this triathlon I had just done. And, and of course, cause we're talking about it. Right. <laughs> and, and she looks at me, she's like, Oh, how was it? Hawaii. Right. And I said, <laughs> no, it was called the Midwest meltdown in Paola, Kansas. And it was like a 750 meter swim and 12 mile bike and a 5k run. And she looks at me, she's like, it was like, she was so disappointed that like, she thought any triathlon, like if it was a triathlon, it was Kona. Right. And she just looked at me like, Oh, Oh, that's it. Like, kind of with that look. And then it's like, she didn't want to talk about it anymore. Like she was not impressed after that. So it's just like the, the misnomer that Kona is not the only triathlon in the world. Like you can do a triathlon, be a triathlete, not having done Hawaii. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but a lot of people were yeah. like, Oh, you're a triathlete. You must've done Kona. Right. So it was kind and, of funny. And of course, Kansas and Hawaii are just on opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of uh, uh, scenery and race courses. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> um, so, so for me, um, when, when I was transitioning out of the television network I used to work at into my full-time role here um, with TriDot, um, you know, at, at my at my TV network, they, they were just doing a quick little, um, you know, going away thing on my last day in the office. And a lot of the people I worked with the closest that they, they knew this was my hobby. They, they knew I raced triathlon. You know, we talk about it in the office. Um, they were very well versed in, in what I was doing and, and what it was like. And, you know, they would see me leave, you know, for lunch break, you know, with my pool bag to go to the pool to swim on, on lunch and, um, and stuff like that. But for a lot of the people that I worked with that, you know, I wasn't in the office with every single day that maybe worked in a different part of the building, but knew me, um, from the studio floor or whatnot, you know, when, when they were finding out, oh, you're going to go work for a triathlon company, you're doing media for them, um, et cetera. They would start asking me, oh, I didn't know you do, did, did triathlon. What, what is that? And so I would start telling them about, you know, the races and they're just, they were like in absolute disbelief. Like they, one, didn't know triathlon was a sport. Uh, and then two, they didn't realize people could do that. They didn't realize people could go that far swimming, biking, and running. And, and, and they, they were just flabbergasted that they knew somebody that, that was completing these distances. And I was just like, 
guys, I, I am very mediocre at this. I am very middle of the pack in this. They, there are just some ridiculous athletes out there. And um, it, it was kind of fun, right? Just seeing their reactions and, uh, and, and seeing that play out. So um, guys, we're going to throw this out on social media um, to you guys. So go find this question on the I Am Tried Out Facebook group today. What is the funniest or weirdest reaction? Uh, was it from some kids like Elizabeth? Was it from uh, somebody that, that, that you encountered that they thought you were uh, uh, a, a, Kona, a Kona qualified athlete like BJ? Or is it just somebody that you rub shoulders with at work like me? Um, you know, who gave you the best reaction to finding out you do triathlon? On to the main set. Going in three, two, Our main set today is brought to you by Tritats. Whether you're a seasoned Ironman or gearing up for your first local sprint try, Tritats will help you make your mark. These tough, stylish, and easy-to-use race number tattoos make you look and feel like a pro. I personally have raced countless local sprint and Olympic tries, where I showed up thinking I had plenty of time to settle in the transition, only to find a massive line waiting to be body marked. Switching to Tritats has allowed me to show up on race morning with my focus on the finish line, not the body marking line. If you have an Ironman race this year, their Iron Tats are made especially for you. Iron Tats body mark you for that one key race and include the all famous MDOT logo. Friends don't let friends race with Sharpied on numbers. So as a friend of the podcast, head to tritats.com and use promo code TRIDOT for 10% off your order. Again, that's tritats.com, promo code TRIDOT. Like I said at the top of the show, strength training is one of those things that that it, it feels like athletes should do. It feels like all of us could benefit from, uh, but some of us do it, some of us don't do it, some of us have good intentions of doing it, but only occasionally do it. Um, and, and so today we're going to camp out on this topic. Should triathletes strength train? Do we need to strength train? What are the benefits from potentially working in strength training? Uh, and we're doing that with somebody who specializes, specializes in this Dr. BJ Leaper. So BJ, when we say strength training, um, in the world of strength and conditioning, what exactly are we talking about when we throw out the term strength training? Yeah, so it sounds like it should be just a simple answer, but unfortunately, strength is not defined by all the same way. And so, you know, arguably in our world of health and fitness, it's it's possibly the most misunderstood term in our industry, because what is strength truly? So, you know, we can get into it a little bit philosophically, where you look at the definition of strength, and it's the capacity of something to withstand force, right? So I always say that, you know, it's like, uh, it's like Rocky four, like, how do you define strength? Is strength Drago training in the lab with all these Uh things hooked up to him? And it's like the estimated one rep max, it's the how much you bench question, is that strength? Or is strength Rocky training, running around, lifting logs, chasing chickens, you know, is that an expression of strength, that kind of idea of work capacity? BG, I, I think the, um, the the TV commercials for, um, I want to say it was Planet Fitness, used to have TV commercials where like the, the sales rep was taking a scrawny guy like around the gym uh, on a tour, you know, trying to get him to join. And there's just these like two or three, like just massive, like jacked bodybuilder type guys. 
and and you know they're they're have these massive dumbbells and and they're picking them up and putting them down and and as they're doing it they're saying i put i pick things up i put them down i pick things up i put them down and it's like you know that's for some of us that's our idea of strength training is we're just taking heavy objects and we're picking them up and we're putting them down and and in lieu of that we're building strength right <laughs> right and and that's a lot of times the picture we have of strength and and you know is that is that strength how do you define it and so um you know we always joke sometimes that you know you can you can look like tarzan and play like jane like no offense to jane because <laughs> maybe she had some fight in her but it was just never highlighted in all those shows she was she was just kind of weak right so um but there's guys that that look strong but they can't connect the dots you know and so is what is strength and so the way the way I define strength to me, and because again, you can debate it, but it's the ability for work capacity. So it's the ability to connect those dots. Like we've talked, we talked previously um, in a previous podcast on, you know, the four by 100 meter relay. And it doesn't matter how fast those individual runners are if they can't pass the baton. And, and so strength to me, that work capacity, it's the ability to pass the baton within your body to produce, to produce work. Um, so, so yeah, I think, uh, then the question is, well, why don't we call it work capacity training? And honestly, we might, we probably should, but we've always called it strength. So I guess we'll keep calling it strength training. But again, when we talk about strength today, I'm not talking about that individual runner, how fast they are. I'm talking about their ability to pass the baton, the ability of the body to pass the baton and express that strength within an individual muscle, that work capacity. So that's kind of what we're, we're really getting into when we talk about strength. Yeah. One of my takeaways, BJ, um, from you sharing that was that I think we need a modern day, uh, Jane of the jungle spinoff to, uh, right. to, to <laughs> highlight that, that Jane, you know, a Netflix series where, where Jane is the heroine who doesn't need the, uh, the, the strong man, uh, swinging through the jungle, um, that, uh, and, and actually I think it would be fitting for it to star Elizabeth James, uh, James as Jane of the Jungle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so BJ, my fearless prediction for our main set question today, um, you know, do triathletes need to strength train? I predict that your answer is either going to be yes, no, or it depends. So BJ. <laughs> Do triathletes need to strength train? Well, I'm going to throw you off here and I'm going to say no, tongue in cheek. It, it's just <laughs> a matter of how good do you want to be, right? So you don't have to be great if you, you know, but if you want to be great, you're going to have to strength train. So it's like I use these golf analogies a lot because that's where I kind of started my career as far as um, strength and conditioning development and, and performance. But you know, I could go out and play a round of golf without a golf lesson and hack my way through a round and complete a round of golf. So you could say I'm playing golf and do I need a lesson to do that? No, but you know, I'm probably getting my money's worth more because I'm hitting the ball more times. Right. But, um, how good do I want to be? How efficient do I want to be? If I want to be good and efficient and, and more skilled, I need, I need to take lessons, right? Just like in the world of triathlon, ask, you know, ask T.O. and Rennie if they strength train, right? And the best of the best, ask them if they strength train. And, and I know for a fact, like they, they utilize Aaron Carson with EC Fit. Like they, 
the top individuals have a strength and conditioning person in their camp. So, so the short answer, you know, tongue in cheek is, do we need to strength train as triathletes to complete triathlons? No, you don't. But how good do you want to be? Right. So if you want to perform better, you know, and if you're listening to this and you don't really care about performing better or having longevity in the sport, you could probably turn off the episode because you don't, you don't need it. (laughs) But I think we all, everybody who's listening to this, everybody who's into the world of triathlon, like they want to have longevity in the sport. They want to obviously be better. And, and obviously it's, it's a necessary thing. It's just, how do we, how do we do it? Okay. So yeah, let's, let's dive in a little bit, getting started on the, how do we do it? Um, You know, when properly incorporated into our training calendars, what what is it just kind of scientifically that strength training does for our bodies? What training adaptations are we really seeking from these sessions? Yeah, I mean, again, with our definition, like we're taking here, that that ability for work capacity, really, um, you're improving your body's ability to pass that baton. So, so for me, strength training is is being able to express the the muscle power that you have, it's being able to connect the dots. And, and really what it does physiologically is it, it improves the ability of that muscle to be fatigue resistant. And, and that can obviously improve our efficiency in, in movement. If we don't fatigue as quickly within our muscles, um, you know, just even in and of itself, the muscle doesn't fatigue as quickly. We're going to be able to, to endure more. We're going to be able to have more workload capacity, but, even beyond that, if we're training the right system, if we're training strength in the right way with that ability to connect the dots and that ability to pass the baton from one runner to the next, we really improve the efficiency of our movement. We don't have as much energy leaks. We don't compensate as much in a negative way. We're not driving the car with the parking brake on. We're able to express the true power of the engine that we have. And so that's really that's really what strength can do um, for us physically. So, can strength training tangibly, you know, help get us faster? You know, triathletes are always looking for, you know, that that faster split. You know, we'll, we'll spend thousands of dollars on on, you know, aero wheels and and you know, aero accessories on the bike. You know, to to be a little bit faster on race day. Can strength training regularly um, be something that helps us get faster in the sport, or is it more about um, keeping our supporting muscles injury free. Yeah. And I mean, I think the reality is that it can do both, right? So it makes us more resilient. It makes us more resistance, resistant to fatigue. You know, we talk a lot, like we've talked about the, the power stamina paradox and, and such a hot topic that we've done it twice. Right. And, and we get these questions all the time about, about, uh, you know, training faster and doing things. And I I think to support that speed and to support being fast before far, being strong before long, obviously strength is part of that equation. So, um, so absolutely it, it can help us become faster. It's, it's improving our capacity for that. And, and um, yeah, it's, it's a big part of it for sure. So, I mean, we've already touched on this a little bit here in in that answer. Um, I want to expand on that just a little bit more because this is something that I've been asked multiple times as a coach, and I've kind of helped athletes work through this scenario. And I think it would just be really beneficial to kind of bring up this example um, in our conversation. 
So logistically, for all of the athletes that are balancing, you know, work, family, triathlon training, they have different amounts of free hours that they're available or that are available to give to the sport. And if an athlete is looking at the calendar and kind of weighing whether or not to commit to adding in some strength dedicated sessions, you know, come race day, I know I've been asked, you know, what will be the substantial difference um, if I add strength? Or conversely, you know, what am I missing out on? Or how much, you know, potential is there that I'm lacking if I just opt to swim, bike, and run? Right. I kind of joke, um, you know, how many sets and reps of squats and lunges does it take to to ride a bike? <laughs> and the answer is there is no answer because it's a dumb question. Riding a bike <laughs> makes you better at riding a bike, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. And it's, you know, we, we joke too. It's like, how many, how many sets and reps of finger flexion drills does it take to play the piano? Like playing the piano helps you become better at playing the piano. So, so all in all, we know that, that our cycling training, our run training, our swim training is what makes us better in those disciplines as a triathlete. And, and like you're alluding to Elizabeth, I think, I think the key is like, okay, we, we manage, these resources of time and and that's our hardest thing to balance is what's what's valuable what's what's the benefit but i would argue that you know properly placed strength training is as critical to our racing and training is as our nutrition you know we always talk about those fourth and fifth pillars of triathlon our nutrition and strength and conditioning um, and i think they're they're integral they're not just add-ons again it goes back to how good do you want to be how how fast do you truly want to be? How how much longevity, how much resiliency do you want to have within the sport? And I think the trick is figuring out where your true deficit is. Where are you lacking? Where is that parking brake stuck in your system? Where do you need to be able to express the power that you do have more efficiently? And then targeting that with just a couple simple things that you can do to address that versus thinking that it needs to be 45 minutes or an hour, two to three days a week. I mean, that could be great, but you might even be missing it within those sessions. You might be beneficial. You might benefit from simply doing five to 10 minutes of the properly placed um, strength training drill. But again, it's, it's like we've talked about before in previous episodes is being a sniper. You have to know where to aim to target that. But I, I think it can be critical to, your progression and, and tapping into your full potential. So we decided to take the plunge. You know, we, we, we listen to Dr. BJ Leaper on the, on, on the podcast and we want to be faster. You know, we want to be stronger. Um, you know, we're going to add in some extra sessions for strength. Should we all be doing something similar since the point is better swim, bike and run fitness anyway, or should athletes, different abilities have different focuses in these sessions? Yeah. And, and again, absolutely. It, it depends on, on where we're at. So each individual, it's just like our swim, bike and run training, like within the TriDot system specifically, we know that we have all the data and the metrics and the analytics to help develop our training fingerprint that's unique to us. And, and there might be some overlap where, where other athletes might happen to do something similar because their training fingerprint looks close, but it, it, the reality is it's it's all going to look a little bit different for each individual. And so even within our strength training, it should be tailored in that same way as a, as a strength training fingerprint to us. So the only way to do that is to 
is to truly screen, have that professional that's a sniper for you, that personal trainer, that strength and conditioning specialist that can help dial you in. And it needs to have a feedback loop. It needs to be some ABA approach where you you test something, you you then apply something training-wise to the situation, and then you retest to see if there's an improvement, just like we do our threshold tests on swim, bike, and run. And so I think that that the concept there is is that it needs to be specific and tailored to you individualized because if we both if we both were doing squats with 300 pounds on our back we might both be able to accomplish it but one of us might look completely we might both look completely different in the way we're moving through that squat so somebody might need that somebody might not and so you can't assume that all things applied to the same situation is going to create the same outcome it could blow some people up it could not be hitting the others where they truly need it. They need more, who knows? So, so yeah, it definitely needs to be individualized. So what factors should we consider when trying to decide how much strength training we need, when we should be doing it and what exactly we should be doing? Yeah. I mean, the factors are, are know your deficits. Uh, I think that again, I'm, I'm a big fan of with this trying to keep it simple because I know, even knowing what I know about the strength and conditioning world, I I have a hard time committing to it within my training, you know. So, I I can commit to three to five minutes a day easily, and so I think it needs to start there. It start it needs to start with your the lowest hanging fruit, and and the only way to get there is to to truly be able to go through some movement screening to test and know where where are those energy leaks in your system. Where do you need the work? I think. I think if we assume that you're operating on a fundamental movement platform, that things are pretty good in your body, yeah, maybe we can apply some general blanket training. However, I think a lot of times you still miss the boat with that. It's just like saying like, okay, every runner that we train needs to go out and run an hour slow or, you know, just obviously we have pacing strategies for that. Our training is individualized with swim, bike and run. So we need to continue to individualize our strength training, even if it's simply three to five minutes a day of that properly placed uh, strength and conditioning move that helps you with where you need it the most. That can be way more valuable than two sessions a week of 30 to 45 minutes of improperly placed training that might not be hitting you where you need it or might be making you worse kind of want to go back and just re-highlight what you were saying too about, you know, the amount and type of strength training and be so dependent on not only where you are in the sport, but your goals in the sport and then your current and past injury risk too. I know with the athletes that I'm currently working with, um, there is one just phenomenal athlete and the majority of her strength training focus is just working on like some shoulder exercises from a past injury. And so mm-hmm. she's continuing to make sure that she prioritizes that um, because when she doesn't, then it really impacts her ability to do those swim sessions. And so for her strength training, uh, I mean, that loose term that gosh can be defined in so many different ways is really focused on just those shoulder exercises that keep everything stable for her to be able to do the swim sessions. Whereas someone else has more of a full body routine that they're working on, you know, 30 minutes twice a week. And so, yeah, I mean, the amount and type of strength training can vary so much athlete to athlete. And I see that on a daily basis in the athletes that I'm working with. Yeah, we could even we can even almost relabel it as as 
you know, again, if we're using that definition of work capacity, we could almost relabel the strength training as, okay, we're, we're improving our work capacity. And that can, like you said, Elizabeth, that can look differently depending on your injury history and, and your predisposition. And, and sometimes in our world, we call this corrective exercise work where we're trying to correct, correct patterns that we know we're deficient in. And for some people, like we've talked in previous episodes on on uh, our performance pyramid, for some people, they need more mobility work in their routine to help embrace the strength that they already do have or embrace the power that they have. Some people need, they've got all the requisite mobility and flexibility. They just need to literally get get stronger, be able to express that through power, connecting the dots better. So our properly placed corrective work, however you want to label it, you can call it strength training, work capacity training, I think it needs to be specific. And for some people, it might look like I'm lifting heavy weights in the gym. For other people, it might look like I'm just unlocking my body and then reinforcing it with activating a muscle. And that's all it needs to be for them. Um, But yeah, it, it improves their capacity for sure. And I think another important thing there is that this can evolve and change over time. I know that, goodness, as I was getting started in cycling, I just did not have the power to uh, push any additional watts. Um, so <laughs> I really needed to work on building that muscular strength. And then from there, I mean, the strength training I did a couple of years ago looks very different than what I did, what I do now. Absolutely. And, and just like your, your paces that you're maintaining for your swim, bike and run are way different than they were a couple of years ago, right? So our training needs to adapt. It needs to grow with us. And the only way you're going to be able to do that is to have some type of feedback loop to tell you if what you're doing is working. And then if it's worked, you know, don't waste your time on that. It's no longer your deficit. Take your next lowest hanging fruit deficit, target that. And then if, if we assume, or we know based in testing that everything is at a fundamental level, we've got a pretty good balance of our body. You're then continue to train globally, you know? And I think, I think there's a lot of ways to do that, but I agree. I think it's it's got to be specific and it's got to grow as you grow. So BJ, on, on past episodes, a, a couple of times I've heard you say that nobody knows your body better than you do. Um, so it, it sounds like hearing both of you talk, it, it sounds like, you know, it, it, it can just be, it can go a long way for an athlete to kind of self-assess, okay, what where am I deficient? What What do I need? Do I have you know, a, a, a certain pain, you know, like, like a lower back pain, or if, if it's like Elizabeth athlete, uh, Elizabeth's athlete, uh, a, a shoulder issue where, where I need to specifically target some, some corrective, um, strength sessions that are going to help me in that area. Or am I just really struggling putting Watts through my legs on the bike? And so I just need to beef up those, those cycling muscles. Um, you know, it, is, is it, is that kind of the approach athletes should take in, in terms of self-identifying, um, you know, where they're deficient, where they can get the most gains out of um, some some targeted strength sessions? Yeah, I mean, I think I think we intuitively know our body, and and that's where I think it's important to still seek a professional. And when you link up with that professional, it should make sense when they evaluate you and maybe help you screen. Um, what they're telling you should intuitively make sense. So it doesn't mean that you necessarily have to have all the answers for yourself, but I think when you get screened, it should, it should make sense with that professional if they're dialing you in the right way, because honestly, sometimes, and sometimes we can be surprised by what shows up with, with screening. That's why we try to 
try to protect ourselves and, and stay as objective as we can um, and not have complete bias because we might think we're we're really strong in one area and, and we're actually not, you know, and so a screen can help reveal that. And that's where it helps to have somebody maybe guiding you. But, but yeah, intuitively it should make sense. And as you're working through that process, you should be able to naturally feel the difference. It, it's like challenging our deficits. If somebody's putting us in the right position, that's, that's a challenge, truly attacking our deficit it should feel awkward. It should feel a little bit uncomfortable. It should make us sweat. Like it should be, there should be no doubt in our mind that we're targeting the right thing when we're into it. Because if we can, we can knock out three sets of 15 and we don't even bat an eye, I'd question whether you need to really be there. Right. But if, if you're struggling with something, you know, the, the properly prescribed drill is really the drill where it's a balance of you're not succeeding every time you're not failing every time, but it's somewhere in the middle. Because if you're doing a drill where you fail every time and you just are on the compensation bus, you know, what are you really getting out of that? On the other end, if you're if you're succeeding every time and there's really not much of a challenge to your system, you're never going to raise your threshold. So it's it's just like what we know with our swim, bike, and run training. We have to push threshold, get uncomfortable to make changes, but we can't go so far out that we're blowing up halfway into the training session too. So it's a balance for sure. Yeah. I, I loved a little bit earlier where you talked about how it is better to do shorter sessions with more regularity that are targeted on what you need, as opposed to just trying to force, you know, 30, 45, 60 minutes of just general strength training without knowing that that's what your body needs. And I, I know all three of us are, are, I'll be a Southerner for a second. We're all church going folk, right? And, and it reminds me of in, in church, you, you talk about how like, you know, when you're trying to build those spiritual disciplines of, of you know, reading your Bible and, and study and, and, and prayer, um, you know, the pastors will, will say, hey, it, it would be better for you to consistently spend five, 10 minutes in the word of God than to try to force 30 minutes every day and not really actually do it because you don't have 30 minutes in the day. And um, it, it kind of reminds me of that. Um, and, and and so that kind of leads me, BJ, to another it depends question, because I'm sure that's the answer here. But um, when, when we talk about that regularity of, of doing it, you know, three, five, 10 minutes a day, targeting those areas that, that you know that you need, should that routine kind of stay consistent throughout the season or should we do more or less strength as we get closer to and further from race day? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think, you know, assuming that we have deficits, and we know what those are and we've targeted where those are at. I think the key is to keep consistency even on a daily basis. And, and the way I try to encourage athletes and even my patients to do these types of things is with a concept that I, I just started to subscribe to or utilize about a year ago, which is called healthy habit stacking. And it's a really interesting concept. And it's basically you know, because again, it's like, how do we commit to this stuff? How do how can we work it into our routine? Take a healthy habit that you already have, like brushing your teeth or showering after a workout. You know, those are happening every day. It's a no brainer. You've already developed that habit. If you can stack another healthy habit on top of that. So for example, if I know I'm weak in single leg stance on the run and I need to develop a little bit more stability there, 
I, as I'm brushing my teeth, I'm standing on one leg or I'm, I'm doing a drill that incorporates that other habit or it's right after that. Like I've got a foam roller sitting out in our bedroom right by the shower. And I know after a run, I need to do a little corrective work to unlock my hips. And I see that foam roller sitting there. I know I'm going to jump on that right before I shower. It's just starting to develop that healthy habit. So you don't forget to do it or it becomes something that then can build into something else. And I think if, if that's one way to kind of start incorporating that. And then the other, the other end of it is, okay, we know that we've got our corrective work and then we know that we just globally need to get stronger or, or whatever our deficits are. I think, I think two to three sessions a week where maybe that grows into a little bit more, maybe that's the 25, 30, 45 minute session um, where we're, we're training a lot of different things and, and we commit to that. But I think for a lot of us, it's hard to commit to that. So it just needs to start with simple things early. And that's where the healthy habit stacking can even start that process. And I don't know if this is where you read it, but kind of a little shout out to that James Clear book, Atomic Habits. I read that last year. And I mean, it talks all about the habit stacking. And yeah. I loved that read. And I mean, a great way to start incorporating those little things that are going to help you progress. And from there, then you can continue to tackle on other things to ensure further progress. Yeah. And I, I like this. I, I've heard, I think John Mayfield said this before, and we talk a lot about it within our training of triathlon, but it, we always say, you know, it doesn't, doesn't require perfection. It just requires consistency. And I think that consistency has to simply start with a few things that we know are, are critical for our bodies. Um, does it have to be a perfect hour-long routine? No, it just has to be specific and it has to be consistent. And and that's where it can start. Yeah, I, I resonate with, I, I've never read Atomic Atomic Habits. Is that what it's called, Elizabeth? It is, yeah. I'll let you borrow it. <laughs> yeah, Read that, never heard of that. Sounds sounds interesting. I've never even heard the term habit stacking. Um, that's that's super, uh, a super interesting direction for us to talk through today. Um, but but I just know personally, a personal anecdote hearing you guys talk about that is, um, you know, I'll, I'll get foot pain um, in, in the metatarsal area um, if I don't kind of do some foot strengthening stuff. And so I have a little a little rubber spiky ball that that I've got that I, I'll rub my foot over um, kind of before or after a run. And um, if if I I used to keep that little rubber ball up in my pain cave near all my fitness equipment. Um, and, and I would only do it. I was very sporadic with when I would use it. Um, and so I moved it to underneath my desk, uh, where I work. And so, um, every single morning, Monday through Friday, the TriDot team, we have a 15 minute, um, kind of, we call it our morning huddle. Uh, we just kind of, kind of get on and okay, what's everybody working on today? You know, who needs what from who and, and all the tasks that we're working through today, um, and very often while we're on that call, since that spiky ball is now down at my desk, I'm while we're on that call, kind of, kind of knocking out my little foot exercises, um, kind of rolling it over that spiky ball and kind of doing some, some things to stretch out those little foot muscles. And, and, uh, I find myself doing it more often with it being, with it being down there. Is that kind of what we're, what we're talking about? Yeah, exactly. And when people tune in to an episode entitled strength training, you know, I think they, they think we're going to be addressing like, oh, what muscles do I need to get stronger specifically? And how do I do that with certain weights? And, and I think the key and the critical takeaway from this is that 
strength training is really developing work capacity and to develop work capacity, your body has to be able to connect the dots. Your body has to be able to pass that baton. And that starts with the right muscle length. Like you're, like you're saying was just setting up with some corrective exercise work, being consistent. Your, your muscles have to be able to absorb that training of force and load. And, and so for some, they need to focus on that flexibility piece or establishing that mobility. For others, then they need to move on and reinforce that through reloading their system and and working more into the strength and and stabilization. So, yeah, it's just whatever that is for you, whatever your your body needs, we just need to to work a way that we can get that consistency because I think it's critical. Again, like we said, it how good do you want to be? How how much longevity do you want to have within the sport? For some people, it's it's about getting a better time. But for other people, it's as paramount as getting to the starting line, you know, like just to get there. Um, it's they cannot afford to miss these types of sessions. It's it can be even more critical for them. And you would argue that they'd be better off being consistent with that session than any one of their swim, bike and run sessions. But, you know, none of us as triathletes want to give that up. But for some it might be critical that you do to a certain degree in order to even just get to that starting line. So Elizabeth, what does a typical week look like for you in terms of kind of the strength training you're doing in addition to your swim, bike and run sessions? Well, for me, I'm a a big fan of training movements and then specific areas of weakness. So not just, you know, muscles in isolation and picking up weights and putting them down as you were talking about with that uh, commercial at the beginning. And I mean, if you go back and listen to episode 71 with BJ, I mean, he does a great job of outlining that performance pyramid and why movement, the mobility and stability are really those foundational pieces for your best performance. So I spend a lot of the time dedicated to my strength work, working on mobility and stability. And I mean, the tried out athletes that see the strength exercises on their weekly training calendar will see a lot of those types of movements on there too, because those are kind of that foundation of the pyramid. Um, And then, as I said, I also like to work on areas of weakness for me. So such as my glute medius, I think I've joked on the podcast before that, like I've got a lazy butt and I'm, I'm working on that. And so a lot of my strength exercises are focused particularly on that. I also have some imbalances um, kind of in my lower back and, and left shoulder area. So I currently have a particular set of exercises kind of for better recruitment and strength building, particularly in my left shoulder. Um, I do have a strength program that has been written for me that I follow three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And then on Tuesday, Thursdays, I do about five to 10 minutes um, of some mobility work, some core work. So again, not anything that's super long, um, you know, very short sessions on Tuesday, Thursday, but some very dedicated things on those days as well for me. Yep. No, that's great. Um, BJ, you mentioned earlier, you know, we talked about that there's, there's the athlete that, uh, needs to focus on certain areas, um, cause they, they need to, you know, unlock the potential of a certain muscle group, um, you know, via improved mobility, stability, strength. Um, but, but for the athlete who, just everything in their body is working well. You know, they, they, they haven't identified any deficiencies in, in their body. They're, they're just looking to get their swim, bike, and, and run muscles stronger. Um, you, you, you even joked earlier that there's triathletes that they, they just, they just want to know, 
you know, okay, what, what, what moves do I do? What exercises do I do to get my triathlon muscles stronger? Um, you know, it, whether it's Elizabeth earlier talking about how she needed stronger legs for biking early on in her tri career, or whether it's somebody who knows I'm a weak swimmer, I really want to work on those muscles. Um, what, what, what are kind of the common muscle groups that you would encourage triathletes that just need more raw strength, uh, to kind of work on improving? Yeah. And like Elizabeth said, I'm, I'm a big proponent of fundamental movement training. And, and really what I mean by that is, is I'm, I'm training not parts in isolation, but I'm training multi-joint movements. I'm training more complex movements, assuming that all my other boxes have been checked, you know what I mean? With, with where my deficits might be. And so, you know, for upper quarter, that's, we always say that's push, pull, lift, carry, you know, complex movements that require those, those basic patterns. And for lower extremity, it's squat, step, lunge, balance. And, and then you can explore into more explosive movements from there. So, so the major muscle groups, obviously that are being hit through that is is your, your basic connection muscles. It's, it's through the pelvis, it's your glutes and your core, and we always call the glutes the king of the pelvis. And like Elizabeth was saying, it's not uncommon like to have glute insufficiencies, especially with endurance athletes. Uh, the long distance, the you know, it, it, we're not as explosive as a hundred meter sprinter. We don't train it that way as consistent. You know, we still have high threshold built into our programming. But you know, there's a reason that you look at a sprinter's butt and you look at a distance runner's butt and they look a little different, right? And you could argue which is, which is better, but I think that form fits function, obviously within triathlon, it's, it's going to be different, but I still think that's an area where we tend to become slightly deficient. So I think glutes are a huge area, um, but it's not training the glute in isolation. It's training the glute in more complex patterns. It's, it's working through, all cardinal planes of movement, sagittal plane, frontal plane, transverse plane, and incorporating that together. So we like to do, you know, in our clinic, we like to do a lot of med ball work, a lot of kettlebell work, a lot of, a lot of chopping, lifting with resistance tubing and and things that, things that aren't locked in and guided by a machine where your body has the ability to explore that movement and you have to own it. The machine isn't owning it for you. And I think, you know, most progressive strength and conditioning coaches have moved on from machine-based things. But I still think that for the athlete, you you really need, need to subscribe to that type of training if you're not already doing so. So, Elizabeth, BJ, for someone looking to, to just pick up a few items um, to kind of prep their own home pain cave for some extra strength work, um, you know, what key items would you both recommend they pick up? Oh, man. Um I'm trying to think of some of the essentials. Our our whole living room has basically transformed into like a, a functional movement space. So I've, I've got lots of uh, toys there. <laughs> but I, I'm thinking for somebody that's, you know, looking to make some purchases for some at-home strength exercises, I'd recommend some resistance bands, um, some resistance loops, uh, a good set of dumbbells, or maybe, you know, a couple kettlebell kettlebells, excuse me. Um, and then I, I really like my stability ball and BOSU trainer as well. So those would be a couple of my recommendations. Yeah. I mean, I would recommend the $5,000 free motion machine. That's got the dual cable cross system. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, okay, well, mine are the more budget friendly. Right, right. No, for the, 
<laughs> for the all-in athlete yeah. that weighs about a ton. No, I think I think those are great things. I, I mean, obviously, again, we want things that are going to allow for for freedom of movement, so you can explore the movement and and things that are going to become self-limiting, where you have to own the pattern, otherwise the the weights or the resistance is going to pull you out of it. Um, so we we love to use a lot of kettlebells. We use a lot of med balls. We use a lot of um, you know stability pads and and um, uh, f- f- we use a uh, functional movement tubing, which is another type of exercise banding that kind of has some um, styrofoam handles that you can hang on to. And I, I like to look on a-, a website called Perform Better. And there's a lot of great stuff on there for home training equipment and really gym training equipment altogether. But but there's a lot of different ways. I, I would say to my athletes at home that are, are training, assuming, again, that they've got some fundamental requirements checked off, don't be afraid to go heavy. Um, I've got athletes that are working heavier kettlebells, and, you know, we're, we're lifting – 35 to 50 pound kettlebells in the properly in the proper way but um that heavier weight kind of exposes a deficit and it challenges the system so i i think a lot of times we think we need to do really light work but i don't be afraid to go heavy and that's where it helps to have a professional to maybe guide you so you're not getting in over your head but heavier weight sometimes can actually dial us in better i've had athletes where they were, were kind of cheating and, and doing the exercising correctly at lighter weight. And we actually, instead of making it easier, we made it harder and it locked them in better because they had no choice but to kick in. They were either going to kick in it, kick in the muscle we wanted to the right way, or they were going to fail. There was no in between. And sometimes it's nice to get into drills that are more in that self-limiting category. And to do that, sometimes you got to go heavy. Great set, everyone. Let's cool down. Back on podcast episode 54 entitled What to Expect on Race Day, Answers and Advice for the Aspiring Ironman. Our warm-up question was, what race is at the top of your bucket list? Coach John Mayfield and myself both said Challenge Roth in Roth, Germany. Pro triathlete Elizabeth James is eyeballing a race-cation for 70.3 Greece. And Coach Jeff Raines talked up his desire to race Iron Man New Zealand. But what did our podcast audience have to say? We polled you, our listeners, and got some great responses to this question. Elizabeth, BJ, and I will reveal 11 of our favorite answers. But before we do, BJ Leaper, what would you have at the top of your bucket list for triathlon races? Well, I'm going to say the obvious answer um, in Kona as that would be, uh, that would be one of them. But, um, I got to do one of my bucket list ones not too long ago in 2014 in Alcatraz that was up there, but I would say wildflower would be at the top of, of my list. Cause I'm all about the atmosphere. And, and as we know, that's like the Woodstock of triathlon. So wildflower would be it for me. Yep, very cool. That is a great pick, BJ. Um, All right, well, here is what the Tridot family had to say. Elizabeth, why don't you start us off with pick number one? All right, uh, number one comes to us from Shannon Rogers, and he says, how about one that happens as scheduled? Baby steps. And uh, yeah, couldn't agree more. That sounds great. Let's start there. 
Number two comes from Christopher Bruno, and he says, are we allowed to say Kona? Qualifying is not likely to happen, but it's one race that would make it worth taking the time to train for 11 more Ironmans. And exactly what I was saying, Kona is is at the top of a lot of our lists. Yeah, Kona is, I mean, it's it's a top bucket list triathlon for good reason. It, it is just the OG Ironman. Um, lots to like there. A, lo- a lot of alluring qualities about that race. So that's a great pick by Chris. And of course, if you're not fast enough to actually qualify for Kona, you can get to Kona by uh, via the Legacy program where you race 11 Ironman events and then apply uh, through the Legacy program. So that's what Chris is talking about there. For number three, we had a couple athletes uh, say Alcatraz, which BJ, you just referenced a little bit ago that you've done uh, Escape from Alcatraz. Uh, ben Haynes, Chris Hess, Terry Wolf, and a few other athletes uh, all said the Alcatraz triathlon, and it's just so unique. There's just not another uh, race in the sport like it. It's not a 70.3. It's not an Olympic. It's it's kind of a, a weird pseudo-Olympic distance. And um, um, BJ, what was it about that race, having done it, that made that one so special? It's unlike anything because the mystique of the race is, is obviously it starts with the swim. You come swim with the sharks, and so that's epic in and of itself. But then once you get through the swim, I mean, you think you think you're there. But actually, the more daunting part that it was surprised me about the race was riding through the hills of San Francisco, and you're you're bombing down these hills with a hairpin turn at the bottom, and you know there I am riding my brakes all the way down, like like I'm scared out of my mind, and and uh, yeah, just it's just such a cool atmosphere and and just when you're on the the ferry out there everybody's waiting on the boat ready to jump off it's it's like as close to a wartime experience that i've i've ever been able to feel you know without going to war where it's just move move jump jump and you're just scared out of your mind and you're just here we go so yeah it's it's definitely one i would love to do again All right, our next one, number four, comes from Evo, and they said that they would be joining you and uh, John out at Challenge Roth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen Evo post to the I Am Trout Facebook group multiple times. Uh, When John and I, whatever year it is that we decide to uh, take the plunge and uh, get signed up for Roth and fly over to Germany, uh, I will Facebook message you and I will let you know uh, when that's going to be and we'll, we'll see if you can join us for it. Number five comes from Andy Wegner. And she says, Ultraman World Championships. Oh, uh, yeah. That doesn't surprise me. She would be great with that. Yep. She's fond of distance. And her coach, uh, the legendary Kurt Madden, is an Ultraman World Champion himself. So, uh, Andy, you've definitely got the right coach uh, guiding you towards that performance. Um, so, great pick there. Uh, number six. Now, we had a couple athletes nominate a couple races. Um, these are your your kind of extreme endurance triathlons um the himalayan x try alaska man norse man patagonia man um they're 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 categorized as extreme triathlons they're um just in obviously these beautiful scenic locations they are challenging punishing courses um and multiple athletes uh nominated those four races and uh for good reason um they're they're just super Super cool races that um, are, are great fits at the top of a bucket list. All right. Number seven um, is going to come to us from both Mark Weiss and Susie Heffernan. Um, they said the SOS in New York, which is the, and I'm probably going to pronounce this next part incorrectly, 
survival of the Shtanagunks. I'm not sure about that. I am going to have to look that one up. Um, but they describe this as an eight-stage wilderness adventure race. And it includes one cycling segment, four trail running segments, and then three open water lake swims. So, gosh, you've got a bunch of different segments in there. Um, the SOS in New York. I'm going to have to take a look at that. I looked it up, Elizabeth, because I'd never heard of this. And I saw a couple athletes, um, you know, Mark Mark, and Susie both nominate this. And so I, I went to the website. I looked at the race. Um, it looks super dope. Like, it's just, it, it's up, up in the New York um, forest. And, um, man, just a really, really unique format with the multiple swims and the multiple runs and, uh, and everything. So um, great, great pick from Mark and Susie. Number eight comes from Pierre Stevenson. And he says, Ironman, Wisconsin. And also the New York City Marathon is also and always been a dream for him. And uh, Ironman Wisconsin, that's that's up your alley, right, Elizabeth? Yes, yeah. I was like, oh, what a good one. That was my first. I loved it. Definitely want to go back. Bill Burrell said anything long without the word virtual attached to it. <laughs> Ironman New Zealand is a bucket list item for me as well. Uh, Laura Hoffman also said 70.3 New Zealand. So a couple athletes agreeing with Jeff Rains that flying to New Zealand or, or uh, traveling to New Zealand for those races would be super cool. Um, having done 70.3 New Zealand, uh, beautiful course. I absolutely loved it. And what's really cool about it is it's one of the few half Ironman uh, in the world, uh, to my knowledge, that still does a mass swim start. So you go out there, you're treading water alongside a couple hundred other triathletes, they blow the cannon and, and, and you're off to the races, um, which is just a really cool experience. Um, every triathlete needs to do it once. And uh, Ironman New Zealand and 70.3 New Zealand both still do that. All right, number 10 um, comes from Michael Fenton. And he says, gosh, there are so many, but I'll go with Ironman Canada. So Ironman Canada, um, back on the circuit for 2021. That should be a great event. Good choice there, Michael. And number 11 comes from Debbie Colson, and she says, any 70.3 is mine. Yeah, and that's, I really like kind of the viewpoint there because a lot of athletes, it's a particular race. It's a specific race that is our bucket list race. But for a lot of folks, like, they just want to do an Ironman. They, they don't care, you know, which one it is or they want to do a 70.3, they don't care which one it is, or they want to do a sprint or Olympic, don't care what it is. Like the distance is the bucket list as opposed to like a specific race. And so really cool perspective from Debbie there. Huge shout out to all of our athletes that that weighed in on that post. I mean, we always get so many comments uh, when we throw out these posts on Facebook and, and we always enjoy reading what you all have to say. We can only share so many of them on the podcast uh, th th themselves. So um, thanks for all of your posts. And my hope and, and, and my prayer is that all of you uh, that, that posted one day get to do your bucket list top shelf. If you could do any race, it would be that one. Uh, I hope you all one day get to do that race. Well, that's it for today, folks. I want to thank BJ Leeper and Tridot coach Elizabeth James for talking about strength sessions with us today. Shout out to TriTats for partnering with us on today's episode. Head to TriTats.com to get the race day tattoos you need to make your mark. Enjoying the podcast? Have any triathlon questions or topics you want to hear us talk about? Head to TriDot.com slash podcast and click on submit feedback to let us know what you're thinking. We'll have a new show coming your way soon. Until then, happy training. Thanks for joining us. 
Make sure to subscribe and share the TriDot podcast with your triathlon crew. For more great Tri content and community, connect with us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Ready to optimize your training? Head to TriDot.com and start your free trial today. TriDot, the obvious and automatic choice for triathlon training.